message to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Today let's have another look at meditation and the wandering mind. And today let's look at how we insult Buddha Dhamma Sangha and how it contributes to obstructions when we come to meditate or walk on the path. It may be that we don't acknowledge this as something that is an obstruction, that we don't see that maybe some of our habit tendencies, particular verbal ones and mental ones, can obstruct us from uh, developing our meditations, developing our path. But often it is actually something that is a huge part of why we can't concentrate the mind, why we struggle to understand the Buddha's teachings, or even why we struggle to uh, believe and even walk the Noble Eightfold Path. So often when people ask, uh, I'm having this, this type of trouble with uh, the meditation, I'm having this or that, and, and you peel away all the other layers. So you peel away around virtue, you peel away around uh, following instructions, you peel away around other aspects to the practice like understanding about particular meditations more specifically, you peel those away and then you have a, a normal kind of conversation with a person and you find that they are prone to speaking ill of the Buddha or questioning uh, the, the Dhamma in a particular way that is, is quite insulting or to make certain remarks about the Noble Sangha, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings that uh, they, they don't believe certain things or they, they're quite quick to, to say they're wrong but uh, they themselves are not wrong. And so in this way, when you look at the karmic impact of such speech or even such thoughts like internal thoughts, the vajisankaras of, of, of the way you, you think about Buddha Dhamma Sangha, it can be quite detrimental. There are ramifications for that. So when you go to the suttas, the Buddha does enunciate in different ways how one can insult the Buddha, for example. So in Anguttara Nikaya chapter 2, there are a couple of areas the Buddha talks about. There's probably more, but the two that come to mind right now is when you attribute something to the Buddha, but he hasn't said that, that, that it means you insult the Buddha. Or when you uh, say something that the Buddha uh, hasn't said, but you say that he has, that's also insulting the Buddha. So things like that, that we don't often consider. So for example, in the first instance, when it comes to saying Buddha said this and he didn't say it, sometimes this is true. Like sometimes when we can't recall, we do uh, remember something incorrectly and we're adamant about it. It becomes very strong in us. And when we get into Dhamma discussions with people, we may assert that and it's not true. It's even more grave if you're teaching them when you attribute something like that and you emphasize it in a way from, from a kind of teaching or sharing position. Sometimes you don't think that there's something uh, that you're doing wrong there, but it's good to be cautious and to double check that it is what the Buddha said. And clearly if you say something and attribute to the Buddha and he didn't say it at all, that's not very good. So when you see fake Buddha quotes, when you see people going on and on about things, about the soul, about the self, these are things that he didn't declare. And then when you, when you talk about it, if you do, then, then it's, it's actually insulting the Buddha. 
Now, when it comes to the Dhamma, uh, again, it's uh, one of these things where sometimes because we haven't got our spiritual faculties uh, developed fully, which is most of us, then we tend to get up upset or frustrated with the teaching. And we don't turn that back on ourselves because we think we're quite developed on the path. We question the teaching. We say, oh, that's not what is meant. That's wrong. And then when you read suttas that back up uh, something that you're declaring as wrong, it's almost like you are insulting the teaching because it appears in multiple places. So in that respect, one has to be quite cautious that if the Buddha has said it a number of times, it's reiterated by the noble arahants, it's important not to immediately think it's the, the fault of the teaching and the teacher or the teachers, but to really look at oneself and to think, well, maybe the spiritual faculties that I have are still rather blunt and I need to practice a little bit further to, and maybe, maybe I'm not ready for that or, or maybe I just don't know and I should leave it aside for this, this, this particular point in time and, and look at something else. When we insult the teaching, we're too quick to judge it or be out of anger or frustration, we, we insult it. It's actually not good. It can muddle us and it can also have ramifications. Now, when you think of Buddha being declared the perfect teacher, the teacher of gods and humans, and you read the suttas and you see the gods in terms of all the devas, they come to to the Buddha, so from the lowest Deva realm all the way to the highest of the Deva realms, they come to see the Buddha. And when you see that, you understand that uh, there are certain things that we don't understand, that we cannot fathom how wonderful a teacher the Buddha really is. And we must come from a, a place of humility rather than insulting the Dhamma. And that's a safer place to come from rather than one that is conceited and arrogant and then you end up uh, in, a, in a more unfortunate situation and therefore you can't concentrate the mind. So when it comes to the Sangha, this is a, at times it can be a difficult one. Um, when it comes to the Noble Ones at the time of the Buddha, it's, it's a little easier because it's apparent in the suttas that they are noble, they are arahants, they have walked that path. And it's quite evident that they have their own following as well because people gravitate to particular areas of expertise, whether it's psychic abilities, wisdom, uh, austerity, all those sorts of things. But during this time frame, we don't know in terms of lay people and monastics who is highly attained, who has path and fruit who truly understands the Buddha's teachings. And so it's always good to err on the side of caution because it is very grave to actually slander, insult, disparage uh, those that are worthy of praise, that are actually practicing in accordance with Buddha's teachings, who have right view. So right now in, in today's world, it's, it's a world where people are quick to disparage, quick to slander, quick to have harsh speech, and it's easy because when one gets angry, one gets frustrated, just it's so easy to speak one's mind. And if, it, if it's not out loud in terms of verbal speech, it's in one's mind. And so it's good to really look at that. 
So you see people like Kokalika, and he was a bhikkhu at the time of Buddha, and he would continue to insult Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Mahamogalana. And even the devas knew that he was doing this. A Brahma came to visit him, and this is in Sangyutta Nikaya. And at the time, Kokalika was very sick. He had been adamant about uh, Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Mahamogalana, and he, well, he became quite sick. And so he was visited by Turu Brahma, and he was someone that was previously a monk and had attained path and fruit, and so he was re reborn, most likely in the pure abodes. But he had come to see Kokalika, and at that time, Kokalika was very rude to him. He said, oh, you, you've attained anagami. That's what the Buddha had said. So why are you coming to visit me? Look how far you're transgressing, uh, basically coming to visit uh, Kokalika. So it was very insulting. But what's interesting about that uh, visit was what the Brahma Tudu actually said. So I'm going to read it from sutta it says when a person has taken birth an axe is born inside his mouth with which the fool cuts himself uttering defamatory speech he who praises one deserving blame or blames one deserving praise casts with his mouth an unlucky throw by which he finds no happiness trifling is the unlucky throw that brings the loss of wealth at dice the loss of all oneself included worse by far this unlucky throw of harboring hate against the fortunate ones. For a hundred thousand Nirabuddhas and thirty-six more and five Abuddhas, the maligner of noble ones goes to hell, having said evil speech and mind against them. So this particular sutta is very, very visual. And just to say that the Nirabuddhas is a very, very long time, so one could say, uh, when it says 100,000 Nirabuddhas, this is the equivalent of two quinquadrillion years. So the thing about this particular sutta that is important is that you don't see that you've got something, if you're quite prepared to say certain things in a defamatory way, to slander someone, without really knowing their attainments, without really knowing whether they're accomplished in view. That means they have the eye of the Dhamma, that they have the right view. It's actually, it's good to, to be cautious. Like even if you don't like a monastic and the way that they, they preach the Dhamma, it's very important to refrain from going there. If you don't like their particular style, just don't watch them, don't visit them. If you don't like a particular lay person who's a teacher, who presents the Dhamma in a particular way, don't listen to them, just avoid it because if you trouble the mind in a particular way or if you speak out about them in a particular way but you don't know where they're actually at and you might be right but it's always good to err on the side of caution particularly if in particular areas they are actually quite skilled and maybe the areas that they're speaking about where they're not skilled they're the ones you hone in on and it's actually quite dangerous to to look at the overall thing and, and make a judgment like we said before, even Venwal Sariputta was teaching one of the Arahants, but he didn't know that he was already an Arahant. And he continued to teach him, and then the Buddha had actually declared that both, of course, are Arahants. 
So in that respect, when it comes to us even trying to discern, oh, this person kind of entered the stream, or uh, this person is so on and so forth, and we make these assertions, it's a little dangerous. When you look at it in this way, it's, it's good to be very, very cautious. So when it comes to our situation, more often than not, when you're on the Dhamma path, you don't actually say it out loud. And even if you do say it out loud, you normally say it to people that you trust. And that's where intimacy with, with our friends, it's very important not to lead each other astray, that to put up the stop sign to say, maybe this particular conversation about another person's practice or another person's Dhamma talk or whatever it is, is unhelpful unless you're doing it with the idea of improving. So it's not from the point of view of judgment, disparagement, breeding kilesas, breeding defilements. But even then, one should be very, very cautious. And then in one's mind, the best thing is not to make contact with someone that you dislike, that someone on the Buddha's path, whether they're in robes or not, not to make contact because it disturbs the mind. So in meditation, if you focus on someone that you don't like, it wanders off into that area and breeds defilements. What can we do about this? So if you admit that you have a problem, or even if you can't see a problem, but you know that these things do happen, and that comes from a place of, of humility, that we come into this world with a tendency because of the the pain and then the, the sadness at our predicament. And we wonder why, why are we like this? Well, clearly in the past we have done things wrong. Uh, we've insulted Buddha Dhamma Sangha in the past because we were non-believers, non-practitioners or partial practitioners. So it's really good to actually look at this mechanism that the Buddha gives us. And this mechanism is being able to ask for forgiveness of the triple gem. So the formal way of, of actually saying it is, you say, if by body, speech or mind, due to negligence, I have done any wrongdoing, forgive me of that fault, Venerable Sir, the enlightened one of abundant wisdom. If by body, speech or mind, due to negligence, I have done any wrongdoing, forgive me of that fault, Dhamma, visible in this life and immediate. If by body, speech or mind, Due to negligence, I have done any wrongdoing. Forgive me of that fault, Sangha, unsurpassed field of merit. So that's the formal wording of it. There are Pali for that as well. But it's always good to know what it means as you're saying it. And once that is deeply embedded, you can do it more quickly. So if that is embedded into you know exactly what you're asking forgiveness, you know the qualities of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, then you can easily say, I regret any wrongdoing that I've done to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. I ask for forgiveness of Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And you do that three times. So what's really good practice is before meditation is actually to do it. It helps to cleanse the mind, purify it of wrongdoing. So normally we do this at times by looking at certain defilements. And that's very, very good, like the Vatupana Sutta, Anumana Sutta, Anangana Sutta, various suttas like that. Very helpful, because when it comes to actually doing particular meditations, uh, following insight pathways, looking at precise things in our meditation, it helps to gather one's mind so it can concentrate. 
So doing this before one meditates is very helpful. So when you're paying respects to Buddha Dhamma Sangha and you're, you're bowing, if that's what you do, which is a very good practice, then when you do that, you can include the asking for forgiveness. Sometimes it's simply easier to admit fault. And if you're teaching or sharing Dhamma in a more formal sense, it's also very good to do this because then the propensity to say wrong things about the Buddha, attribute wrong things to the Buddha, or elaborate on things that don't need elaboration, these things can also be cleaned up. So it's not always our intention to attribute things wrongly to the Buddha, of course not, but sometimes it comes out that way. Or sometimes we elaborate too much on something that the Buddha has explained really, really well. So in that way, you are protected. And even after you give a teaching, even after you share something, it's very good practice to also do this because we don't know where we go wrong. It's so easy to go wrong. Our faculties are not like the Buddha. We are not perfect teachers or practitioners like the noble ones and the Buddha. So from a very humble place, it's very good to make it part of our practice to actually ask for forgiveness of the Triple Gem. And those that have actually included that as part of their practice have seen very, very good developments in their practice. And that is very heartening. And so sometimes when people come and ask you, I have this and this kind of problem, usually the easiest thing to recommend is to start asking them to include this. Because we don't actually know through many lifetimes how much wrongdoing, how much transgression we've had towards Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And it's only in this life that we really start to assert that we want to walk the path, that we want to even complete the path. And so if this is the case, then it's just an easy thing to include asking for forgiveness. And so this is another thing that is to be taken into consideration. See whether it works for you. So we can share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well. Veruan Saranai.